0: All right, guys, today we're jumping into the book of Mark. Uh, We're going to be looking at chapter 1, verse 1 through 20. And because this is a longer chapter, it will be in two parts as it goes on through uh, 45 verses. And uh, there's so much to cover in this, so we'll split it up. In this uh, first section, part 1, what we're going to be talking about some really interesting stuff I, I think we should all uh, learn and take seriously within the prophecy recorded in verse two and three. And then we'll talk a little bit about how John the Baptist is the fulfillment of this prophecy and then the first days of Jesus's uh, ministry. So uh, that's what we got in store for this chapter and uh, really excited to jump into this together. So it starts off in uh, verse one saying, the beginning of the gospel or evangelion or good news of Jesus Christ, the son of God. The only thing I wanted to bring up uh, out of this verse is that uh, just in case you didn't know Christ, it means Messiah uh, or the savior. It's a um, prophetic term that was uh, used for Jesus. So it's not his last name, so don't get that confused. But beginning of gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God. So right here, and what I'm gonna mention here as well in these first three verses, we have uh, John Mark clearly connecting the New Testament and the Old Testament, clearly connecting Jesus with uh, all Old Testament prophecy. So within these first three verses, what I want you to dump out is the notion that the Old Testament God and the New Testament God are different. No, it's one and the same God. I also want you to dump out the notion that says that the Old Testament has no application for us or no relevance for us today. Um, We're not gonna get into that. There are things that are fulfilled in Christ that are no longer uh, pertaining to us anymore, clearly, clearly taught throughout the New Testament. Um, But with that being said, our Old Testament is so important, so vital, uh, not only for defending our faith but for having reason for our faith in Jesus Christ. Um, we wouldn't know who to have looked for or who He was if we didn't have the Old Testament. So, with these first three verses alone in the Gospel of Mark, any notion of Jesus not being God, um, any notion of this not being prophetically confirmed, uh, hundreds of years in advance, all of that junk, just throw it out. It's it's clearly disproven within these first three verses and we're gonna unpack this. So he says in verse two, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, and then he goes on uh, to look at this, uh, this part that is highlighted in red and in bold and kind of blocked out differently. The reason for this is because it is a direct quote from the Old Testament. And the reason that he says Isaiah as it is written in Isaiah is because he's going to go on to, as we're gonna see in this section, he's going to quote uh, Malachi and Isaiah, and he's he's then going to go on in uh, verse four and beyond to show how John the Baptist is the fulfillment of this prophecy. So the beginning of the gospel, where the gospel starts is Old Testament prophecy. That's where we get the gospel, Old Testament prophecy. The early church, their Bible was Old Testament and the gospels. So the beginning of the gospel, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, um, as this has been foretold and as it is being fulfilled, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. So what I want you to do is is show you a little bit of the research I did so that you can better understand this section, what's going on here. So this first uh, part of the prophetic quotation or reference, reference is probably the better term, in verse two, where he says, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. This is from the Old Testament book, Malachi chapter three, particularly verse one, and there's other uh, references and Uh, predictions, prophecies from Malachi that we'll talk about concerning this passage. And verse uh, three of chapter one of Mark, what's being quoted here is Isaiah chapter 40, verse three. So he blends these together for uh, a unanimous prophetic voice that speaks of John the baptizer, John the Baptist. So what I want us to do now is look together through uh, these verses and compare them. Okay, so... What I want you to see here is at the top, what we have on your screen is Mark chapter one, uh, verse two and three that we just read. And then here on the bottom, we have Malachi chapter three, verse one. And I I need to make a special note. Uh, If you're like me, the way you study the Bible, it's very literal, very particular, uh, very much from a Western point of view. And in some of the things I, I was reading and studying as I was looking through church history and commentaries, Um, something that's mentioned and pulled out in particular is that the common way for them to reference Bible passages is a little bit different than we may do it. So they would maybe uh, reference something uh, thought for thought instead of maybe word for word. So in the quotation that we have in Mark, it seems that John Mark doesn't literally quote identically from uh, Malachi chapter three, verse one, but instead pulls a section out of it and um, maybe 90 percentile quotes it. So he's kind of paraphrasing uh, to put it simply, and that's okay, that's how they did that. There's nothing wrong with that. So understand it. it's not, we are like, if you're a Western American Christian, at least in my circles, we're very literal, very particular. And um, that's not exactly what's going on here. So let's look at this together. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. And then if we look down in chapter three, verse one, I'm about to send my messenger who will clear the way before me. Indeed, the Lord you're seeking will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant, whom you long for is certainly coming, says the Lord who rules over all. So uh, what we see in Malachi chapter three is that he is predicting and know that this is hundreds of years before Christ, And so what he is predicting is that he is about, Yahweh is about to send his messenger. Yahweh is about to send this messenger that is going to precede him, that is going to go before him like a prophet. And he says, he will clear the way before me. Um, And then he says, indeed, the Lord or Yahweh you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant whom you long for is certainly coming. So there's these two parties coming, the messenger and the one, so the messenger who will prepare the way for the Lord and and make straight the path of the Lord, and then behind him is the Lord himself, okay? So that's what Malachi predicts, he prophesies, and here Mark, we have him opening with this prophecy. Another thing I wanna pull out uh, in Malachi chapter 3, verse one, there's a few things. The second thing I wanna say is in all my research of this, uh, there is an extremely uh, close correlation between Malachi chapter three, verse one, and Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. And so I just wanna mention that very briefly and look at this together. So now at the bottom of your screen, I pulled up Exodus 23, 20, and let's just read this together. I'm going to send an angel before you to protect you as you journey and bring you into the place that I have prepared. So if you can't tell, just looking at this is so uh, similar. And the reason for that is because Malachi is reworking this this section of the text when he's writing in chapter three. He's referencing this event and he's referencing something similar that's going to happen. Or in other words, Malachi in chapter three and in chapter four as well, he's mentioning that just as the Exodus took place in the book of Exodus, which we just read, just as this took place and someone went before God's people to lead them out of darkness into a place prepared for them, likewise, there's coming a day in the future where God's messenger is going to go before God's people and lead them to a particular place. So see the aligning of these two points in history, the Exodus and Jesus Christ coming to earth. So Exodus uh, chapter 23, verse 20, uh, this is Uh, where Malachi gets his content from. And we know from Malachi chapter one, verse one, that that he divinely heard from the Lord. And we see with the confirmation of his prophecies that he was a true prophet. Uh, But all that aside, uh, the only thing I want you to notice from this verse is, you know, Exodus 23, verse 20, and Malachi chapter three, verse one, they're almost identical. And that's the reason why. So many commentators or scholars would maybe reference Exodus 23, 20 and say that, Um, John Mark, who's writing the book of Mark, is quoting from this, and I don't think so. I think he's only quoting from Malachi chapter three in the beginning, and then at the second part, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, verse three. But the reason that many uh, would mention that is because I believe Malachi draws uh, from Exodus chapter 23, verse 20 to Malachi chapter three, verse one. I hope that makes sense but I just wanted to point that out. The other thing I did wanna mention is that the word angel and messenger uh, are the same word. Um, And so we could go into much depth about how we don't understand maybe divine beings or angelic beings Um, sometimes or get certain passages confused, but I'm gonna avoid that. But I just wanna say that it's usually the same word that is used for an angel or a messenger. And the reason is because most of the time these divine beings are messengers. Um, So anyways, keep that in mind. I also wanted to mention uh, to you um, Malachi chapter four, uh, verse five, and um, this is really interesting. We'll read four and five. He says, remember the law of my servant Moses is the very end of Malachi, to whom at Horeb or Mount Sinai, I gave rules and regulations for all Israel to obey. He says, look, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. He'll encourage fathers and their children to return to me so that I will not come and strike the earth with judgment. So really briefly, what I wanna mention here is this uh, chapter four, verse five of Malachi further describes this messenger that is going to come before the Lord in the days ahead, which we know is John the Baptist. So the way that they're explaining this messenger, how they might identify him is, well, he's like Elijah, whatever that means, okay? Um, and also he says, before the, the great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. So this is before the day of the Lord. Um, what I wanna say about this verse, and this is in a Bible study on Malachi, but it's really interesting, all these prophecies, is that I think this is a verse where we get what we might call dual fulfillment. Or in other words, God in part fulfills something. And then later in the future in a more fuller sense and a more complete sense fulfills a prophecy. Uh, we have this all throughout the New Testament. This is an Old Testament passage that I think if we keep in mind the New Testament and so many things that are said about Israel being grafted back in, et cetera, et cetera, um, that this seems to be maybe as Elijah and uh, Enoch were the two uh, only two people in human history that have never died that they are the two that will return in the book of Revelation. So I just wanna mention that if I lost you in that, just disregard this, uh, you'll understand it later in some of my other videos, um, if you watch my uh, videos on the Bible. But this is a descriptor of John the Baptist and uh, we'll see this in the the text. So there's Malachi chapter uh, three, verse one, and then also Malachi chapter uh, four, verse four and five, as they apply to John the Baptist, which is who we're gonna be looking at in this video and who these prophecies are concerning uh, along with Jesus uh, Yahweh himself. So the next passage we're gonna look at is um, Isaiah chapter uh, 40, verse three. And as it says here, as a voice cries out in the wilderness, clear a way for the Lord, construct in the desert a road for our God. So this is the other prophecy um, in Mark chapter one, verse three, that is being quoted, see the similarity, the voice of one shouting in the wilderness, or a voice cries out in the wilderness, clear a way for the Lord, Uh, construct in the desert road uh, for our God. And so this is another, not a literal translation, word for word, as we often think of as Westerners, but it's a reference, a clear reference to this passage in, their day and age, their style of referencing uh, passages. And so what John Mark is doing here is saying, here's the gospel, here's the son of God, it's actually Jesus Christ and it's in confirmation with the Old Testament prophecies that we have looking forward to Christ. And so what I want you to see is a few descriptors of John the Baptist and then see how all these things are fulfilled in the text. As I said before, I really, there's so much depth that could be mined in these, but I will say that if the Lord allows me to teach through the Old Testament, we'll go in way more detail with this. But for this passage, I just want to point out to you how relevant these Old Testament prophecies are for the New Testament. I cannot stress that enough. Um, So Mark's gospel, it's really holding the tension of uh, Jesus being sent to begin or to inaugurate Uh, Israel's prophesied predicted salvation, which is both in Malachi Isaiah chapter 40 uh, through 66 in so many places, but these are the the scripture references that are being brought up to light in this, like I said, first three verses. Um, So what we know from Isaiah and Malachi is that if the preaching of John the Baptist or of this coming Elijah that is going to be the forerunner of Christ um, is rejected, there's a promise of curse just like in Exodus 23 verse 20 and in Malachi chapter three. Um, so I wanted to mention that there's a promise of blessing or curse. And we do know that for the majority it was rejected and we see the crushing of the dimple in uh, AD 70. But the other thing I wanted to mention here is looking at all these verses, and I'm not gonna pull up all three together, but as we've read them, I wanna point out um, that that uh, John the Baptist is the fulfillment of all of these, and we're going to see this in the text here. So in uh, verse four, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain these next few verses that he immediately launches into to describe John the Baptist, and then we're going to go back and look and see how he's fulfilling these uh, preceding two verses that are prophecy in the wilderness. John the baptizer began preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So we know from this verse, we already see hopefully uh, a similar word, wilderness. So if we see in verse three, the, the voice of one shouting in the wilderness from Isaiah, that's a descriptor of this one to come. He's going to be a voice crying out. He's going to be uh, a messenger divinely sent by God. He's going to be a man of the wilderness. He's going to live in the wilderness. He's gonna be uh, preaching, doing his ministry in the wilderness. We also see that he's going to be preparing the way for the Lord uh, to create a path for him. um, As both uh, sections say, both verses in this conjoined prophecy. And so the way that we see this happens, as is predicted in Malachi chapter three and four, This person who is in the spirit of Elijah, if you will, he is going to turn the the hearts of the fathers and their children back to the Lord. That is the uh, great uh, powerful thing that this prophet is going to do. So there's gonna be mass repentance. So those four or five things, keep in mind as we're reading the description of John the baptizer, John the Baptist on the scene. So in the wilderness, fulfillment of prophecy, John the baptizer began preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, right? This is in fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy in chapter three and four. So he's trying to turn the hearts of the fathers and their sons back to the Lord, to Yahweh. So John the Baptist, he's in the wilderness, he's preaching repentance. um, And it says people from the whole Judean countryside and all of Jerusalem are going out to him and he was baptizing them in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins." So what I want you to see here is he's coming in the power of Elijah. Uh, Some just imagine this with me, a crazy guy wearing crazy clothes, eating weird things, um, preaching in the middle of the wilderness is not usually the recipe that we would put together for mass revival. Usually it's gotta be the guy in the right clothes with the right education, Uh, in a comfy place and then everyone's gonna show up if if their schedules permit. But what we see here with John the Baptist is that he has a supernatural blessing, a Holy Spirit endowment of power that he's really preaching as a messenger of God and God is using him in in such a way to draw all of the Judean countryside and all of Jerusalem. So uh, God's people from all walks of life are coming to see this. And he's baptizing them in the Jordan River as they confess their sins. I wanna pull out two things from here. The first is that the Jordan River is symbolic in that in the Old Testament, there was 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and crossing over the Jordan River was to go into the promised land of God. And so it was really symbolic of God's blessing, uh, them inheriting God's promises. And so likewise, John the Baptist is baptizing uh, these people who are repenting and turning to God back to him in the Jordan River. So I think that's significant. The other thing that's significant here, and we can easily miss this as New Testament Christians that are 2000 years removed from uh, this writing is that in the Old Testament, the way of forgiveness was through sacrifice. If you sin, you have to sacrifice an animal of some type or kind as stipulated in the Old Testament law. And so this man, John the Baptist is claiming to be a messenger of God, but he's not following the Old Testament covenant. He's, he's not sacrificing animals. It doesn't say he's in the wilderness. He's not at the temple. He's not wearing the right clothes. He's doing a new thing. And the reason for this is because he is very much so directly in front of Christ. So as Christ is about to uh, fulfill Old Testament law, as Christ is about to be the last sacrifice ever needed because Christ is going to do away with the temple and all these things, Um, John the Baptist is mirroring this before it happens. So uh, on the surface, it may seem, well, John the Baptist is walking in disobedience to Old Testament law, but what's really going on is he's the very beginning of this fulfilled prophecy and he's the very last of the prophets because this last final sacrifice um, is coming. Uh, So beautiful stuff. Uh, Verse six, it says, John wore a garment made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey." So what I want you to notice here is the contrast of John the Baptist and the Pharisees or Sadducees of his day. He's not corrupt in any way. He's not wearing fancy or luxurious clothes. His diet is not that of luxury. He is a man of, of a stern uh, backbone. He is a man of toughness. He is a man of dedication to the Lord and the Lord alone. And so he lives for that audience of one. He is seeking to please the Lord. And it even shows with his lack of desire for worldly things. He's shunned the world and all its pleasures and he's trying to seek the Lord. He's wearing camels here. Now this is significant because uh, just as he wraps himself with a leather belt around his waist, so did the prophet Elijah. And so as it's recorded in in the Kings, the Book of the Kings, um, John the Baptist is mirroring the same prophetic uh, mentality, the same prophetic, literally to to the degree at which he's wearing the same type of things that Elijah wore. Um, And this is in fulfillment of prophecy. And as Elijah was one of the most powerful, supernaturally endowed with, uh, as far as gifting of miracles and the miraculous in the Old Testament, Uh, John the Baptist, while he's not working, uh, maybe miracles of signs, there's mass repentance going on that is evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. So notice here that he does live off of locusts and wild honey, so he is eating what he can find in the desert, Um, he has uh, shunned civilian living and he's really living the life of a true prophet, thus fulfilling the prophecies that we just read The voice of one shouting in the wilderness, fulfilled prophecy in John the Baptist, preparing the way for the Lord through preaching of repentance, another fulfilled prophecy, making his path straight. He's the messenger ahead of the Lord, another fulfilled prophecy. And we could go on and on. But John the Baptist is a culmination of fulfilled prophecy to precede the coming of the Lord uh, in their day and age. He proclaimed in verse seven, one more powerful than I am is coming after me I am not worthy to bend down and untie the strap of his sandals. So notice John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. His message is that he is a forerunner. He is the one preceding one that he says he's not even worthy to untie the strap off his sandals. Now you need to know in ancient times that uh, when someone was going to have their their feet washed or their sandals uh, taken off that if someone had both Jewish and Gentile servants in their house that usually this is the work of a slave, that even for the Jewish slave, this was too far below them and it will be designated to a Gentile slave to have to perform this task. And so what John the baptizer is rightly saying is that this one coming after me, I am not even worthy to be the lowliest of servant to him to do the lowliest of slave tasks for him. And he's right, because he he recognizes in his preaching and commanding that it is Yahweh that's coming after him. And so uh, see the humility there, see the uh, correct thinking of John the Baptist, uh, Baptist realizing who he is proceeding with his ministry. And uh, as I said, this is all in fulfillment of these two prophecies that we talked about. This forerunner, this messenger, would herald in Yahweh himself. So any claim that maybe Jesus didn't really claim to be God or the New Testament writers thought he wasn't God, well, this has been disproven within the first three verses of the book of Mark. So he says, I'm not worthy to bend down and untie the strap of his sandals. Then he says in verse eight, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So as I said, John is the last of the prophets in a very special way. And he's doing something that's unique, that's different from the Old Testament, in that he's not uh, killing animals for animal sacrifices, but instead looking to the Lamb of God, as we're going to see in the text later on, um, he's preparing that way. He's giving a baptism of repentance. He's baptizing in water, but people are yet to receive the Holy Spirit. But as he states, uh, Jesus is coming, who's going to baptize people in the Holy Spirit and with his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, uh, Jesus is going to purchase the Holy Spirit uh, in a certain sense through the forgiveness of our sins to then gift it to the entire church, uh, which is recorded in the book of Acts. So really cool stuff uh, concerning John the Baptist and Jesus. It's all fulfillment of prophecy and uh, is down to the T. And I just love this. Next, we're gonna cover uh, chapter one, verse nine through 13. And there's so much packed in here. And we're just gonna focus on this text, not the other gospels, but I wanna make sure we're understanding all that's in here. So it says in verse nine, now in those days, right after we've discussed John the Baptist, now in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. So we see Jesus is this one that John spoke of. That is, uh, he said he was not worthy to uh, take off the strap of his sandal or to baptize. And this is spoken of in greater depth in other gospels. But notice here that John baptizes Jesus by the command of Jesus and This is interesting, in verse 10, it says, "'And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, "'he saw the heavens splitting apart "'and the Spirit descending on him like a dove.'" Uh, I couldn't find a clear answer on this, so I will admit ignorance here, but there seems like there's possible uh, reason to believe that maybe only Jesus and possibly John the Baptist heard this audible voice from God. Um, it's, It's addressed differently in the different gospels. There's slight variation. So I'd encourage you to check that out. But nevertheless, um, Jesus was uh, professed by the Father to be the uh, beloved son, um, which we'll see in uh, verse 11. But before we read that, I just wanted to mention that also um, in uh, the second part that's highlighted in red, the splitting apart and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Um, This seems to be possibly in reference to a confirmed prophecy, maybe, not sure, in Isaiah chapter 64, verse one, which says, if you would only tear apart the sky and come down, the mountains would tremble before you. And he goes on and on. Like I said, uh, Isaiah chapter 40 through 66 has a lot to say prophetically for Christ, but uh, it's just interesting because uh, if you would only tear apart the sky and come down, and then literally we have here, as Jesus is coming up out of the water, uh, he sees the heavens splitting apart and the spirit descending on him like a dove. So of course, Jesus is the eternal son uh, from before time began. He is not a created being, uh, but rather has existed triunally with God eternally uh, from before time began. So it's not that the father is saying, oh, he's now my son, but what he is saying is that uh, he is anointing him as his son. And so Jesus as the permanent sacrifice, if we think about Leviticus, um, before uh, uh, this sacrifice was offered to God to cover sins, they would anoint it with uh, olive oil or with uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, the olive oil being representative And so, of course, Jesus is not being baptized for the forgiveness of his sins, but rather he's going through almost like a ritual uh, ceremony uh, to be sacrificed. And this is part of it. And this is as well, Jesus receiving the Holy Spirit in a unique way uh, that he did not have uh, prior to his life, according to my understanding. And so um, the spirit in a uh, parallel physical demonstration. So it doesn't seem to be it was an actual dove, but the spirit like a dove or in the form of a dove, um, descends on him from heaven as Jesus sees the skies tearing apart, maybe in fulfillment of prophecy of Isaiah chapter 64. And then he sees the, the uh, Holy Spirit like in the form of a dove, uh, descending upon him and resting on him. Um, I'm not exactly sure how many people witnessed this. Uh, Of course, Jesus himself witnessed this as God's blessing for him and his ministry for him. Um, And quite possibly John the Baptist also saw this, or maybe this was personal to Jesus. I'm not sure, but uh, we should give that some more thought and consideration. Um, It says in verse 11, And the voice came from heaven, you are my one dear son, or you are my beloved son. In you, I take great delight. This is interesting because this is clearly a prophecy being uh, confirmed once again in Psalm chapter two, particularly, and also a passage in Isaiah that I want us to look at together really briefly. Psalm two is really interesting because um, it's recorded as a royal psalm. It's recorded as a Davidic psalm, and this is recorded as they understood it in Old Testament times to be a psalm that was going to be playing a part in predicting uh, the Messiah and the coming uh, Christ, the new King who would, uh, as was promised to David, uh, rule and reign uh, over Israel uh, forever. So I just wanted to read Psalm 2. Why do the nations rebel? Why are the Countries devising plots that will fail. The kings of the earth form a united front. The rulers collaborate against the Lord and his anointed king, which is Jesus. They say, let's tear off the shackles you've put on us. Let's free ourselves from their ropes. The one enthroned in heaven laughs in disgust. The Lord taunts them. Then he angrily speaks to them and terrifies them in his rage, uh, saying, I myself have installed him uh, excuse me, have installed my king on Zion, on my holy hill. The king says, I will announce the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. There it is. This very day, I have become your father. So um, God here is not creating this. So I, what I don't want you to see here, that, that Jesus is becoming the, the son now, but, but rather what you need to see here is that Uh, The father is recognizing him as his son, as he's always been. The father is blessing him and anointing him as the king to come. In the Old Testament, whenever a king was crowned, first the prophet would go and pour oil over his head and he would be anointed as king. That was the way that all the kings were introduced um, to their role. And so in the same way as Jesus is this eternal king, uh, John the Baptist as a forerunner, as a herald goes before him. And likewise, Uh, baptizing him, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. He is like the prophet Samuel, anointing him as king through the Holy Spirit, uh, through that representation. Instead of olive oil, it's water here. So uh, recognize this prophecy here. Verse seven, you are my son this very day, I have become your father. Ask me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance, right, Jesus fulfills this, the ends of the earth as your personal property. You'll break them with an iron scepter, you'll smash them like a potter's jar. So now you kings, do what is wise, you rulers of the earth, submit to correction, serve the Lord in fear, repent in terror, give sincere homage, otherwise he'll be angry and you'll die because of your behavior. When his anger, uh, excuse me, when his anger quickly ignites, how blessed are all who take shelter in him. So I just wanted to read that. uh, This is a clear rendering of Psalm 2 Uh, where the Father speaks audibly, whether personally to Jesus or to Jesus and John the Baptist, or maybe even to the whole crowd. Um, I'm not sure, but he does uh, share that, at least with Jesus. We know this clearly from scripture. And uh, this is also uh, possibly a reference to uh, a passage in Isaiah. It's really hard for me to pinpoint just one verse out of this chapter in Isaiah. Uh, 42. I just wanna read some of this. Verse one, here's my servant whom I support, my chosen one in whom I take pleasure. I've placed my spirit on him. He will make just decrees for the nations. See how this is truly fulfilled in every way uh, through Jesus at his baptism. Uh, really awesome stuff. He will not cry or shout. This could be in reference to uh, the crucifixion. He will not publicize himself in the streets. This is clearly confirmed in Jesus' ministry. A crushed reed he will not break, a dim wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully make just decrees. He will not grow dim or be crushed before establishing justice on the earth. This could be a reference to um, his willingness to be tempted without fail in the desert, or likewise his relentlessness in his ministry on earth, uh, even when he stood alone. The coastlands will wait in anticipation for his decrees. This is what, uh, the true God, the Lord says, the one who created the sky and stretched it out, the one who fashioned the earth and everything that lives on it, and the one who gives breath to the people on it and life to those who live on it. I, the Lord, officially commission you. I take hold of your hand. I protect you and make you a covenant mediator for people and light to the nations. This is all about Jesus, folks. I hope you clearly see this. I love Isaiah 42. To open blind eyes, to release prisoners from dungeons, these, excuse me, those who live in darkness from prisons. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not share my glory with anyone else or the praise due me with idols. Look, my earlier predictive oracles have come to pass. Now I announce new events. Before they begin to occur, I reveal them to you. Uh, Sing to the Lord a brand new song. Praise Him from the horizon of the earth you go down to the sea and everything that lives in it. Uh, And I could go on and on, but clearly, I hope you see this. uh, God, before Jesus Christ ever came, Yahweh clearly predicted his whole life, his whole ministry, uh, the particular events at his baptism um, and those things proceeding. So there's just a wealth. There's a wealth of evidence from the Old Testament. There's a wealth of prophecy that's confirmed um, in Jesus. Makes me smile, makes me happy. I hope it does to you as well. It's just beautiful. Um, So a voice came from heaven, you are my one dear son. Clearly a reference to Psalm 2, clearly a reference to Isaiah 42. In you I take great delight. The spirit immediately drove him, verse 12, into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, enduring temptations from Satan He was with wild animals and angels were ministering to his needs. So here I want you to see that the spirit comes upon him at his baptism and immediately Jesus is not led to preach. He's not led to begin healing. He's not led to do any of these things. Immediately he is led to be tempted. Um, Many have rightly pointed out that he's in the wilderness 40 days which seems to be a mirroring of and the fulfilling of the 40 years that the Israelites were in the wilderness. Um, As Jesus is the true Israel, Jesus is uh, the true son and he fulfills this. And instead of being tempted and falling into the temptation, he resists and endures these temptations from the devil. This is spoken to with greater detail um, in in the other gospels. But I just wanted to mention that, that immediately upon his his uh, receiving of the spirit, he's led into temptation, he's led into suffering, he's led into challenge. Um, This is something worth meditating on and thinking about us in our own Christian life um, and how this might apply when we receive the spirit, um, what it's for. Uh, He's to give us strength against temptation, to help us to walk in holiness amongst many other things. But uh, he was in the wilderness 40 days enduring temptations from Satan or the adversary or the devil. Um, and it says he was with wild animals, and angels were ministering to his need, uh administering to his needs. We know he was fasting in this time. Uh, this also is reflective of Moses who fasted in two bouts, uh, 40 days each uh, around the time of the Ten Commandments, which they were given. Also this reminds me of Elijah, who also at the same mountain at Mount Horeb uh, was likewise fasting for 40 days before. Um, he was visited by the Lord. And so Jesus is uh, the fulfillment of Moses, representative of the law, fulfillment of Elijah, representative of the prophets. And he is the uh, last to come. He is the one who has last to been revealed to us uh, that have, has ushered us, into this, ushered us into this new age. So uh, angels most likely ministering to his needs I would tend to interpret this as they're delivering prayers between him and the father, ministering to him in that way, possibly ministering to him in water, but we do know that he was fasting. So uh, in in a way that the angels ministered to Elijah to give him bread before his 40 day fast, it seems that they weren't giving him food, but they were ministering to him in such a way that they were carrying messages and um, that those divine uh, beings were doing that kind of ministering to those kinds of needs. That's how I would interpret it, at least. Uh, So such a cool section, so much in uh, these uh, first few verses. Next, I want us to look at uh, his preaching in Galilee and the call of the disciples in verse 14 through 20. It says, uh, and as Mark does, it just jumps from one section to the next section to events. So there's time gaps in between these. But uh, he says, now after John, which is John the Baptist, was imprisoned, Jesus went into Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of God. So we know from other gospels that, uh, long story short, uh, John the Baptist clearly preached against uh, Herod and his unlawful marriage and his daughter. Uh, Herod's daughter did not like that and wanted him beheaded and so Uh, he was brought into prison, even though Herod feared him. Uh, We get all this from other parts of the New Testament scriptures. So he's in prison. And uh, as soon as John is in prison, Jesus picks up his ministry. So John is the forerunner for Christ. And as soon as uh, he's getting to the end of his ministry, uh, he baptizes Jesus. And there's a transitioning in very much way, just as John said, you know, I must decrease, he must increase. And as he tells his disciples to, okay, leave me, now follow Jesus. Now John the Baptist is being taken off the scene uh, in response to both God's decree and Herod's uh, frustration with his calling out of sin uh, so bluntly. So John is put in prison. Jesus goes into Galilee and proclaims the gospel of God, so, or the kingdom of God. So Jesus then picks up where John the Baptist left off. And I love his message here in verse 15. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. So Jesus says that, look, uh, prophecy is being fulfilled here in my life. The kingdom of God is is about to manifest, take place. It's taking place currently. Prophecy is currently being fulfilled. Uh, And his message is that of repentance and belief of the gospel. Um, really Jesus, and of course this is a summary of the preaching and teaching of Jesus. He didn't just say these uh, five words and that's all he he preached, but uh, notice that true preaching is that of repentance. Uh, So maybe someone like me, I'll often pick on uh, someone like uh, Joel Osteen, but I have yet to see a sermon where repentance is preached. And this is vital, this is essential to the gospel, the, the cross where Jesus is our sacrifice and that the Christian message is more than changing our minds and our thoughts and our attitude, but a a turning over of our life to God and a repenting a turning away from sin and embracing God's way of life. And so repentance is essential to the gospel. Jesus modeled this, John the Baptist modeled this, our whole New Testament models this. And so the, the time is fulfilled, right? Prophecies being fulfilled. And Jesus is on the scene preaching the gospel, the true gospel, that of repentance and faith, uh, which is the only uh, mark of a true gospel preacher. They preach uh, uh, salvation by grace through faith and it's done through repentance. It says in verse 16, as he went along the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. So as Jesus is preaching this gospel and he's going along Galilee, he sees Simon or Peter as he's called, Simon's his particular name, we get this evidence as I mentioned in the introduction to Mark, we get this personalized detail because Peter is the fountain from which John Mark drinks to write this gospel. So we get some particular information coming from the lips of Peter who helped teach us this gospel according to Mark. So, Jesus goes along Sea see Galilee. He sees Simon, Peter, and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea. And Jesus says to them, verse 17, follow me and I will turn you into fishers of people. So, as Jesus is preaching the gospel, he sees uh, Peter and his brother Andrew. And as he sees them, he calls them to follow him. He says, look, if you follow me, you're not going to be casting lines and fishing or chasing after fish and said, you'll chase after people. And I love the response, it says in verse 18, they left their nets immediately and followed him. And what I want you to see here is the power of Jesus. What I want you to see is the, convince, the convincing power and authority of Jesus where he says, follow me, and they do. Now we know these men that their hearts were sensitive to Christ, but what we see here is the immediate response. Who would just turn away from their father? Right? Who would just turn away from their business? Who would just turn away from anything? Well, someone who hears the voice of God and responds rightly. So it says they left their nets immediately and followed him. Verse 19, it says, going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in their boat, mending nets. Likewise, these guys are fishers, and Jesus sees them as he's preaching uh, shortly after. Uh, calling uh, Peter and Andrew, He's, he then sees uh, James and John, these two brothers, and they're mending nets uh, as fishermen uh, would. After you would cast your net, uh, it would break and then you have to mend it before you cast it out again. He says, uh, verse 20, immediately he called them and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Like I said, who just leaves their father at the drop of a hat? Who leaves their business at, the drop of a hat. Uh, well, someone who hears from God and uh, you, you must believe that the Holy Spirit was working in the heart. Uh, of course, in the preaching of Jesus as the Spirit had already descended on them and, and surely in the hearts of those brothers. Um, so it's such a cool story. Um, so, so we see Jesus is obviously clearly powerful, obviously clearly convincing and rightly so. He is Yahweh in the flesh and his preaching is converting the hearts of many. So that's all we got today for the first half of Mark chapter 1. I hope this has blessed you. I hope this has showed you how rooted your faith needs to be as a Christian in the Old Testament as it's confirmed through the New Testament. And I hope you've seen, as there's more that can be said, there's so much more that can be said, but I just wanted to briefly point you to a couple of these different uh, prophecies, uh, a couple of these different Old Testament passages as Jesus truly does uh, fulfill. So many prophecies. As he said, the, uh, the fulfilling of the kingdom is at hand. The fulfilling of these prophecies uh, was taking place. And we can look back and see that. And it's so cool to see. Hope this blesses you. If you like this content, if you want to hear more from the gospel of Mark and would like to follow along with me, I just encourage you to subscribe to this channel. Click some uh, notification bells for likes uh, so you can get notified whenever I release a new video as I release uh, new videos every week. Pray God bless you. If you have any questions, uh, just leave those in the comment section down below. And so long as uh, this channel is small enough, I'll gladly get to all those questions. Thank you and God bless you.